we closed, the Portrait Gallery closed in 2000, and then we were reinstalling installing the collection, and we were able to get expanded room for America's presidents. And we determined that we would pick out five, six of the presidents who were the most influential. I'm not going to say bad or good, but certainly the most influential in terms of the office of the presidency. And the six we picked out, obviously the man behind Jackson over there, Washington, and then Jackson, and then Lincoln, and then Theodore Roosevelt, and then Franklin Roosevelt, and then Ronald Reagan. Um, Jackson, this portrait here is, was painted by Ralph Earl, and Earl had painted a lot of portraits of Jackson. Uh, actually became almost the family portrait painter, and when Jackson was in the White House, he moved in with him and did many more portraits. Um, I think it kind of symbolizes a lot of things about Jackson, um, a lot of the contradictions and the oppositions about Jackson. Um, the fact that Jackson is so big in the portrait and you have a very small capital and indicating Jackson's uh, presidency in which, the, in which the, the president was so much larger uh, than the Congress. And this is the first time that this had happened. And then also you have the blue area, clear weather, and then those kind of darker clouds. And it kind of represents in, in many ways um, Jackson's temperament. And again, the contradictions in the man. Um, he served briefly in the Revolution. He was very young. He was born in 1767. And he was captured. He was a prisoner. And he received his first war wound when he uh, refused to do the bidding of a British officer to polish his boots, and the officer slapped him across the face with a sword. And Jackson always had those scars to remember the British. Uh, he got his payback during the War of 1812, the Battle of New Orleans, which was really an incredible situation. Um, the War of 1812, uh, kind of one of our forgotten wars, uh, was one in which uh, America suffered a lot of defeats, particularly on land. And the Battle of New Orleans in early 1815 was actually fought after the peace was signed by Great Britain and America, but the word hadn't gotten back. Um, the British had um, defeated Napoleon and had sent 10,000 of their best troops. This, this was the army that, as I said, defeated Napoleon. And they sent these troops to take the city of New Orleans. And um, the Congress, the president, uh, sent... Jackson down there to defend the city. Um, Jackson's army was composed of volunteers from Tennessee and Kentucky, uh, of uh, other militias, of slaves that he picked up around New Orleans and promised freedom to, um, of pirates. It was, it was a motley collection of about 4,000 soldiers. None of them had any military training, and they were going to be confronting the best army in the world in early 1815. The British Army was 10,000. As I said, Jackson's was 4,000. The British Army, after the battle, had um, 2,000 casualties. Jackson's group had less than a dozen. It was a smashing defeat. It made Jackson an instant hero 
uh, in, in America. News traveled very quickly. And it, it, was, it was, in a sense, uh, right that he, that he be made that hero. Because if you think about it, if you take even the American Revolution and the War of 1812, the American army, unaided, won no large, significant land battles before the Battle of New Orleans. This was the first time an American army beat the British, and we beat the best of the British. And that was realized instantaneously in America. Jackson, as I said, became a national hero. His fame eclipsed even Washington's at this point. He would, he would essentially ride this, um, uh, this heroism um, to the presidency in 1828. Um, the contradictions as president are, are kind of numerous. Um, he thought of himself as the voice of the people, um, as, as, as a Democrat, um, but he increased the powers of the presidency tremendously at the expense of the Congress and even the courts, um, and which were supposed to be the people's representatives. Um, the founding fathers in the Constitution had never envisioned the president as the, um, in a sense, either the voice of the people or even the direct re representative of the people. That's what the Congress was for. But Jackson always took, a, took it upon himself as president to speak for the people. Whenever he was challenged about who would decide on the issues of important matters, his response would be, the people, sir, the people will decide. And who's speaking for the people would be Jackson. Um, <laughs> His, the most notorious case um, or situation that comes up with Jackson in terms of Congress is the Second National Bank. Um, Jackson viewed the bank uh, as a powerful uh, group supported by elites in and out of government, and he was determined to bring the Second National Bank down. Uh, he, his his uh, statement about the bank was that the bank would kill him or he would kill it. There were many supporters of the bank among uh, wealthy businessmen um, and also in Congress. And Congress uh, was determined to recharter the bank. Jackson vetoed that bill. Um, his vetoes, actually, he had more vetoes uh, during his two terms than all presidents previously had. Um, and not only did he veto it, but he pulled out all of the government funds in the bank, which many considered to be unconstitutional. He did that unilaterally. Um, Congress demanded at one point that he turn over documents uh, in terms of his discussions about the bank, and he refused to do so, and the Senate censured him in 1834. He is, I believe, the only American president ever censured. In 1837, the Senate rescinded the censure. But the, the battle between Jackson um, and, and, and Congress was always intense. Um, Jackson was a man, uh, although, again, he saw himself as a Democrat with a small d, uh, who easily intimidated people. Uh, he had a furious temper. Um, he was in numerous duels. I don't think historians can count the number. Um, in one duel, he killed a man, uh, and it was a duel in which Jackson had determined that he would not take the first shot. And the first shot taken by the other duelist hit Jackson in the shoulder, and Jackson simply looked at the man, raised his pistol, shot him, and killed him. 
Um, Jackson would often use his temper to intimidate, even if he really wasn't, uh, uh, even if he hadn't lost his temper. He, it was a good weapon. Um, he was in, an incredibly charismatic figure. Um, he, he just drew people to him. People trusted him. And there's the, this famous story, and this takes place um, right before the Battle of New Orleans. Jackson had come down with his troops. Uh, he was fortifying uh, areas, getting his army ready uh, to confront the British when, when uh, they disembarked from their ships coming from England. And he had, one evening, he had attended a dance. Uh, it was going to kind of be the, the last dance for the city before the battle. And during that evening, word came that the British had just landed. And as you can imagine, uh, hysteria kind of broke out in the room, and people started running, running off, really. And Jackson got up on the stage and introduced himself. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I am General Jackson. I'm here to defend this city. There is no reason to panic. But they finished the dance. Everyone stayed. He had that kind of magnetic appeal. Um, there are, again, other contradictions in Jackson. While he talked about the people and their power, it did not include all of the people. It certainly did not include slaves, of which he owned, bought, and sold, and it did not include Indians. Um, one of the um, laws, uh, and, uh, a law passed and eagerly supported by Jackson, during his two terms was the Indian Removal Act, which removed all those Indians in Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, um, some of those other areas beyond the Mississippi River. Um, and Jackson eagerly supported that, even when um, a case was brought before the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court determined um, that the lands that the Indians were on were secured by treaty with the United States, uh, and they could not be removed. Um, in this case, it was the state of Georgia that was trying to remove them. Jackson, who was a fierce nationalist, supported the state of Georgia in opposition to the court, and his remarks were concerning the court and Chief Justice Marshall. Mr. Marshall has made his decision, has given his opinion. Now let him enforce it. Um, so that, that was also Jackson. The Indian removal... Um, as I said, is one of the stains on American history. And there is this, there was a witness, um, very famous um, political scientist from France named Alexis de Tocqueville, who saw some of these, this uh, removal going on. And I wanted to read what he wrote. And this is uh, de Tocqueville talking about the Choctaws crossing the, the Mississippi. He writes, it was then in the depths of winter, and that year the cold was exceptionally severe. The snow was hot on the ground, and huge masses of ice drifted on the river. The Indians brought their families with them. There were among them the wounded, the sick, newborn babies, and old men on the point of death. They had neither tents nor wagons, but only some provisions and weapons. I saw them embarked across the great river, and the sight will never fade from my memory. So if we point to Jackson's achievements in terms of what he did with the office of the presidency, which was to make it um, a strong institution. Uh, he, it was, in a sense, the model uh, for later presidents. Uh, Lincoln um, uh, distinctly uh, uh, remembered Jackson and Jackson's imposition of martial law on New Orleans. Now, Jackson wasn't president then, but Lincoln saw that as a precedent 
for what he would be doing during the Civil War. And other presidents, whether, whether it's uh, Theodore Roosevelt or Franklin Roosevelt, often look to Jackson as the model of a strong president. And yet we have these other aspects as the Indian Removal Act. So it goes both ways with Jackson uh, in terms of, of how you view him. Um, I mentioned the banks, the Second National Bank. I mentioned the vetoes. Uh, there was also, um, I talked about Jackson and his furious temper. Uh, uh, many men feared him. Um, on the other hand, um, women uh, knowing about his reputation were often uh, fearful on meeting Jackson, but once having done so, were absolutely charmed by the man. Um, Jackson was particularly sensitive uh, to women and their feelings, and it resulted from his own experiences um, with his wife, Rachel. Um, when, the two, when, when they married, uh, Jackson was 24, Rachel was 24, and Rachel had been married previously. Uh, and she had divorced her first husband, uh, who had, in a sense, really deserted her. Um, and they, she and Jackson married. And then it was found out that there was, the divorce had never gone through. And there was a second wedding ceremony. Now, Jackson's opponents always used that as a slur against Jackson. And he was furious about that. And on the eve of Jackson assuming the presidency, after a very rough campaign in 1828, in which uh, the Rachel Jackson situation came, was brought up many times by Jackson's political opponents, while waiting to move into the White House, Rachel Jackson died. And Jackson never forgave his enemies for that and always saw his role as one of defending women especially those women he thought were falsely accused of, of something. And this came up during his administration. His Secretary of War, John Eaton, um, had married a woman who had been previously married. And her husband had died. And Peggy Eaton's um, reputation in Washington was not of the best. And many of the wives of Jack, in Jackson's cabinet, including his vice president, John Calhoun's wife, declared that they would not go to any social affairs in the White House if Peggy Eaton was invited, in a sense trying to force Jackson to fire his Secretary of War and, and, and get them both out of, the, out of the picture. And Jackson stubbornly defended his Secretary of War and Peggy Eaton. He would never give in on that. And he saw it as exactly parallel to what had happened to his wife. So there, there are so many facets of this man's personality. Um, he's one of the more complex figures. Uh, as I said before, he does, in a sense, reinvent the presidency. If we're going to say that Washington invented the presidency from a rather sketchy outline in Article II of the Constitution, which is only half the size of Article I giving the powers to the, delegating those powers to the Congress, Article II on the presidency is rather sketchy. And Washington fills in a lot of these gaps and, in a sense, invents the presidency. But Jackson reinvents it. He starts something totally new. Um, and for this, historians are endlessly fascinated by him. Biographies uh, come out quite often. John Meacham's new biography that came out last year. Um, and there are others uh, 
that, that come out because he, he is endlessly fascinating to historians. And they split, some liking Jackson and, and pointing to uh, what they call Jacksonian democracy, a kind of surge of, of popular participa- participation and interest in the government. And Jackson's presidency also coincides with the expansion of suffrage for white males. So many historians have described this as kind of using the phrase Jacksonian democracy and see this as a period with Jackson's support of increasing democracy of a kind that's closer to what we think of as democracy than the founders and the Constitution represent, which is actually a much smaller scale um, some would say more elitist version of democracy. Jackson spread it out. Um, so again, we, we, we go back and forth with the oppositions and contradictions to Jackson. Um, his influence is, is um, not questioned by any historian. It depends on whether they like him or not. I'll end it there and, and throw it open to questions. Yeah. Several questions, but we're out of time. In the end, he's a wealthy man. He's he's pretty well to do. I, I I wouldn't say he's 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 rich, but he's, he has a plantation. He has a fair number of slaves. Um, he's he's fairly well to do. Yeah. Uh, he he starts out, as I said, with 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 nothing. Uh, he's often very early. Uh, he is literally born in the log cabin. He's the first, I don't know if I mentioned this, he's the first of our presidents not in that kind of elitist tradition. I mean, you look at, you know, Washington to some extent, although he's not really high-end in terms of Virginia. But certainly, uh, um, he becomes wealthy. Um, Adams, uh, it's true, doesn't start out wealthy, but certainly becomes so. And the rest, and then you get into the Virginia dynasty, with Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, and John Quincy Adams. So Jackson kind of breaks that pattern in terms of coming from a frontier area. That also explains a lot of his attitudes towards Indians. Yeah. What did he do in between the Battle of New Orleans and when he became president? Um, He's in Congress at a time. Uh, He's fighting Indians. Um, he fights. He fights Indians in Florida. Uh, gets into trouble with the with, with the government as a result of that. With with uh, the president um, um, does some does, does some work in law, um, but he's he's running for the president in 1824. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 not that many years. Yeah. I think we all carry around a degree of anger. Is there anything to explain his greater degree of anger? Um, well, I mean, you know, we, we can look at some of the externals in terms of, of often early um, uh, being, being insulted by the British as he was. But I think we're getting, we're getting into temperament here, which is kind of inexplicable. I understand he was president when this building... He found the site for this building? Yeah, the cornerstone in 1836 uh, was laid, and, and it was Andrew Jackson. I should have mentioned that, yeah. since it does pertain to the bu- Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all so much for coming.
Um, we're continuing with our Nation Builders theme next week when Chrysanthi Broikos from the National Building Museum comes to talk about Thomas Jefferson, the architect. If you're a little tired of talking about Thomas Jefferson, the alleged philanderer, it would be a welcome break for you. Highlight on alleged. <laughs> I did my job. Thanks again very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.